Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. Happy Easter. You having a good day? Doing good? Yeah, you feeling good? It's nice outside. Everybody's kind of relaxed and having a good day. Did you did you grab a picture on your way in? Did you stop at the like uh, social media wall, Easter at VC wall? Did you take a picture? Yes? No? Make sure you take a picture. Because you want pictures at Easter. You bought an outfit to get dressed up and look nice. You brushed your teeth. You put your new shoes on, your new shirt on. So you want to take a picture uh, just, to, uh, just to commemorate the event. And, and if, you're, uh, if your husband's with you, you definitely want to get him in the picture because you have no pictures of him. <laughs> it's like your whole house is just your kids and you. And it's like, where you have, we have no pictures of you. So you make sure you like drag him over there. Grab the Easter bunny. Make it a whole family event. Grab a couple props, take some fun pictures. You can find those on Facebook uh, later today or, or early tomorrow. If you haven't liked the Vertical Church page, just uh, uh, facebook.com slash Chesapeake goes straight to the page. Just give us a like and you'll see the, the pictures. Feel free to tag yourself, share, like, comment, use it as a profile, whatever. Anyway, um, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Josh. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Vertical Church. And uh, it's my privilege to each and every week just open up the Bible and share uh, what is written, and that's what we're going to do today. Even though it's Easter Sunday, we're not going to do anything uh, spectacularly different. This is kind of what it's like every week. So if you like it, good. If you don't, well, don't tell us because we really like it. Um, <laughs> I love Easter. I love Easter, but I've got to be honest with you right up front. It's kind of odd being a pastor at Easter. It's actually kind of awkward. And I know you're thinking, what do you this is like your Super Bowl. Like, this is the day. Like, if you're a pastor and it's Easter, I mean, this is, you, this is, you shouldn't be awkward. If it's awkward, maybe you need to, like, get out of being a pastor. Here's why it's awkward. It's not like you don't know what we're going to talk about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, for those people who show up only on Christmas and Easter, I understand why you only come on those two days. Because every time you come, it's one of the same two messages. It's either Jesus is being born or Jesus is dying and coming back to life. Like you tell your friend, I don't need to go to church because every time I go, they just preach one of the same two uh, things. And so uh, they, they don't say anything different. But the reality is if you come other days besides Christmas and Easter, we actually say a lot of things different. We say a lot of helpful things, things that will help your marriage, things that will help you as a parent, things that will draw you closer uh, to God and, and Jesus and help you realize uh, who you are in Christ. And so I encourage you, uh, be here. Actually, Next Sunday, we're kicking off a brand new series, and I don't want to over-dramatize it, but I really do get the feeling like this is going to be one of the, one of the best ones we've ever done in the, in the last uh, three years. I just really feel like, uh, like it's going to be... Anyway, you got a card on that when you came in. I don't need to talk about it. Um, I love Easter, even though it's awkward, because I think Easter is just the perfect opportunity for anybody who's ever considered... Jesus. If you've ever had a thought, or you've ever had a question, or you've ever wondered, you know, I wonder what it means to be a Christian, or, or, or how do I become one of those uh, people? And the really cool thing is we're going to give you an opportunity to do just that here in a few minutes. But Easter, I love Easter because it's the perfect time to start that journey. It's the perfect time to discover who Jesus is and what he means and, and what he's done for us and then to begin a life with him. But maybe that's not you. I recognize that. Maybe that's not why you're here today. Maybe you're here 
and 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 your kind of attitude is is kind of like both feet on the brake. Like, hold on, I'm not. I'm I'm here because somebody bought me breakfast, bro. I'm here. I, I thought y'all were showing Fast and the Furious Seven. Like, I just walked in and and now I feel awkward. I can't leave. So, uh, we got we got probably. 35 minutes, okay, 35 minutes, and we'll be done, and, and you can go buy a ticket. It's not a free movie. Um, anyway, maybe, maybe you're here because she's really pretty, and she asked you to come to church with her, and you thought, oh, shoot, yeah, I'd go anywhere with you, church, heck yeah, I'm in. Like, you know, maybe that's why you're here, or, or maybe you're here sitting, and you're thinking, you know, I'm not interested in any of this, and, and, and maybe your arms aren't crossed on the outside, but if we could look into your heart, Maybe you're sitting there with your arms crossed and you're like, this isn't for me. Not, I'm not interested in any of this. Whatever reason, whatever brought you here today, I'm just so glad that you're here. Because Easter is a great time to come to church. Easter's the perfect time to come to church. Because, because Easter is the one thing that addresses all of our objections all of, the, all of the questions that we have about God and Jesus and who is God like, Easter is the thing that brings it all together. So I want to challenge you this morning. Matter of fact, I want to encourage you. Actually, I want to dare you to reconsider Jesus. To reconsider Easter. In spite of the fact that you know some Christians. You know what I mean? In spite of the fact that you grew up around some Christians. In spite of the fact that maybe you've worked for one. In, in, in spite of the fact that, that you think that really we're all just a bunch of hypocrites. Or, or maybe you used to go to church and you had a really bad experience. And somebody hurt you and they said that thing and you said, I'll never go back again. And yet you find yourself here today. Maybe, maybe, maybe even though, even though there's pain in your life, I think you should reconsider Jesus. Even though God didn't answer your prayer the way you thought he should have. Even though your mom died and she was the godliest, most Jesus-loving person you ever knew and you think, how could a good God allow that to happen. I think you owe it to yourself to reconsider Jesus. It's all because of Easter. It's all because of Easter. Because the foundation of the Christian faith, the foundation, foundation of Christianity is not other Christians. And it's not the behavior of Christians. The foundation of the Christian faith is the thing that we celebrate at Easter. Easter Sunday, the day that changed everything. So I want to tell you the story of Easter this morning. I want to tell you the story, but I'm going to tell you two different versions. And if you would pardon me, I need to get a couple of props because I've discovered that it's, it's actually easier to tell a story when you have visuals when you can kind of see and picture and, and visualize the story. So I want to tell the story of Easter this morning. Hopefully you can see me using these two chairs. Now, the, the two versions that I'm going to tell are similar 
they're similar, but they're, they're also very, very different. The first one you may be more familiar with. The first one, if you grew up in church, maybe that's the story of Easter that you heard. If you grew up around, if you're, maybe if your mom was a, a follower of Jesus or your dad was a, a pastor, this might be the, the very version that, that, that you know, and, and, and that's cool. And um, I want to tell you a second version. It's not like a totally different version. It's not that the first version is wrong, but the second version that I want to tell you is just a fuller picture. It's a, it, it, it's a, it's a truer picture of when we open up the Bible, you know, blow the dust off the pages, and actually read the words. I think the second version is the version that we actually see that leaps off the page into our heart and makes us alive and makes it so, makes Jesus so attractive. And so, uh, let's start. Okay, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And God desired to have fellowship, friendship with his creation. So God created humanity. God created humanity in his own image, in his own likeness, to have friendship and fellowship with humanity. And God would walk in the garden of God with humanity in the cool of the day and they would talk and they would share and, and they would laugh and, and everything was perfect. It was, it was life like we've never experienced before. But then, driven by their own arrogance, driven by pride, maybe even driven by just this desire to be independent from God, humanity turns. We call this sin. This is what happens in Genesis chapter 3. Sin happens. And because God is perfect, because God is holy, because God is pure, God cannot look upon sin. Not only can He, He can't be in friendship with sin, so God turns away. And now there is this gulf, there is this, there is this, divide this separation between God and God's creation. But God still loves His creation. God still, still wants to be in relationship with the ones He created. So God comes to earth. Jesus Christ, God with skin on, comes to earth and He lives and He teaches and He, and he preaches and He amasses this following and, and eventually... Well, like humanity always does, humanity turns its back on God and crucifies Him. And in that moment, Jesus trades places with humanity. And He takes their place. And because God hates sin, and because God, God despises sin, God pours all of His anger out into Jesus. All of His wrath gets poured on to His Son because Jesus becomes the symbol, the, the, the representative of all humanity and it receives the wrath of God to sin. Jesus dies, but because Jesus is Jesus, God raises Him back from the grave. And now, if we are in Christ, Jesus kind of acts like a fancy jacket for us. So that God, who hates sin, who, 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 who has wrath and anger towards sin, has given it all to Jesus and Jesus protects us. 
from the wrath of God. So we're saved. Now, this is probably the version that you're very familiar with. This is the version that most of the time, if you grew up in church, this was probably what was preached. It's not, I'm not saying it's not true. I'm not saying it's not uh, accurate. I'm just saying it's not the full story of Easter. So, let me give you the second version. The version that, like I said, when you really open up your Bible, this is the version that grabs your heart. This is the version that, that leaps off the page into your life and changes everything. It begins in much the same way. God creates heaven and earth. And God wants fellowship with His creation, so He creates humanity in His own likeness, in His own image, to walk with Him and her in the cool of the garden in the middle of the day and talk and have fellowship and share and laugh. And the same thing happens. Humanity in their arrogance, in their, in their independence, turns away from God. Here's where the story differs a little bit. As humanity turns away from God, it's not just that they turn away from God. They turn away from the one who breathed life into them. So now, humanity is dead. Because they're separated. They turn their back on the one who is life. When you turn your back on life, the, what you turn to is death. So now, humanity has a problem. It's the problem of death. Paul would say it like this in Ephesians. He would talk about us being dead in our sins. This is what he means. He simply means we've turned away from life We've turned towards death. Now death is what rules the day. Humanity is controlled by death. Humanity is, is subservient, governed by death, uh, locked into relationship with death, a slave to death, if you will. God loves humanity, still desires to be in relationship with humanity, desires to be in friendship with humanity, so God sends His Son to earth. God with skin on, in the flesh, God walking among us. Relationship to humanity. This is what we read in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So, when we open those up, we see several stories, like this woman. There's this woman, and Death has done a number on her life. We don't know everything about her, but, but we do get an idea that she is looking for something. She's searching. She has figured out that life is something about love, but she's gone about it by looking for love in every wrong place that you can imagine. I mean, how many husbands has she had? One, two, three. We've lost count. And she's lost count because really she's just given up on the idea of marriage, so now she's just living with a man. Little town in Samaria, she's just living with a guy who's not her husband because she's looking for love. Because death has consumed her life. She's searching. But then, God comes by. And he sits down at a well. And she comes by and they engage in a conversation. And, and God in Jesus looks at her and he says, I know how 
thirsty you are. And she's kind of confused by this. And he says, hold on, I'm not talking about the water in the well that we're sitting at. I know how thirsty your soul is. And I know that you've been drawing from a well that's not satisfying you. If you would come to me, I'll give you something to drink and you'll never be thirsty again. I'll satisfy you. Well, this is good for her. She's excited. She believes. She goes into the town and proclaims, I think I have found the one who was to come, the Messiah of God, the Son of God. I think I found God. Here's another man. This guy is rich and powerful. I mean, when it comes to life, he is winning. <laughs> Sex, money, power, he's got it all. Except for friends. Because who wants to be friends with a tax collector? And not just a regular tax collector, but the chief tax collector of the region. You see, this man has been so consumed by death that he's locked on to greed to try to find fulfillment in his life. He's, he's turned his back not only on God, but on his own people. And now he is working for the Roman Empire, the Roman government to extort money from little old widows and grannies. And he gets rich off of their poverty. In all aspects, he is a lost cause. He is an outcast in his community and without hope of ever finding God. Then one day, he hears that God is coming by. God is going to be walking by the road where he works. So he climbs up in a tree because he's heard so much about this Jesus character. He's got a bunch of people following him. He better check out and see what his, his, his crew looks like, because are they trying to in, infringe upon his territory? And so, so he, he watches God come by, but God doesn't pass by the tree. God stops. God looks up in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, won't you come down? I want to come to your house today. Zacchaeus can't believe this. Here's a holy man asking to come have, have, have a meal at my house. And, and, and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I know nobody else wants to be your friend. I know everybody else has turned their back on you. I'm not turning my back on you. Zacchaeus, I want to be your friend. Come on. Let's go eat lunch. So they go to his house. Jesus goes to the house of this sinful man, this, this greedy wretch of a person. They have lunch together. In the middle of lunch, Zacchaeus stands up and just proclaims, today I'm selling half of everything I own and giving it to the poor, and if I owe anybody anything, I'm going to pay him back four times. And Jesus looks at him and says, Zacchaeus, salvation, life, has just come to you. So here's a woman. Life, man. Life is crazy sometimes. We don't know how these things happen. It's weird. It's, it's complicated. I mean, she didn't, 
she didn't expect the religious leaders to barge in and catch her in the very act of having sex with another man who wasn't her husband. She didn't count on the Pharisees knocking down the door and catching her in the middle of sin, but they did. They did. Now, the law of Moses says that this woman should be stoned in public. Because it's not just that we heard rumors that she's a sinner. We actually caught her sinning. Now, nobody asked the question how the Pharisees saw her, what they were doing peeking, but let's not go there. Everybody needs Jesus. But they catch her. And they wonder. I wonder what happens if we throw her at Jesus' feet. So Jesus is in town and the, and the religious leaders take this woman and they throw her at the feet of Jesus. And they say, Jesus, we caught her red-handed. This is a sinner. Our law says that she should be stoned. What do you say? Jesus looks at her and he kneels down and he, he writes something in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote, but he wrote something. And then he looks at her and I think he looks her in the eyes. And he goes through her eyes into her very heart and he sees how death has, has so twisted and distorted her identity. And he says, okay, okay. How about Whichever one of you fellows has never sinned, why don't you throw the first rock? So one by one, they drop their rocks and walk away because they know they had just been had. And then Jesus looks at this sinful woman and he says, where are your accusers? And she looks around and she says, oh no, they're gone. They're not here. And then God looks at this woman and he says, nor do I accuse you. Now go, leave this life of death. Here's a man. Well, he's barely even a man now. I mean, he, he's, he's so captured by death. He's so consumed by death that he lives in the cemetery. He lives amongst graves and he's naked. He doesn't wear clothes and he spends the day cutting himself with rocks. He's more animal than human by this point. In fact, he, he draws out such terror in the neighboring communities that people say it's like this man has a legion of demons living inside of him. That's how far gone he is. If anybody is a lost cause, it's this guy. No hope. Nobody's coming to rescue him because nobody wants to be near him. But here comes Jesus sailing across the sea, lands on the shore, and sure enough, right there on the coast, Jesus meets this man. Jesus looks at him. And the compassion that only God can have for His creation wells up inside of him as he sees how death has destroyed his life. And he says, Freedom! And the next thing we know, this man 
is sitting beside God, clothed and in his right mind. Here's a man. You know, sometimes death works in mysterious ways. Sometimes it's genetics. Sometimes it's a, it's a sickness or a disease that, 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 that grabs our life. But, but this man, he had done nothing wrong, but he finds himself paralyzed. Can't walk. He wants to work, but he can't work. All he can do is lay on a mat. But he's blessed because he's got some really good friends. And his friends hear that this, that this Jesus guy is going to be close by. That, that Jesus is going to be teaching in one of the houses that are near. So they grab their friend and they, they carry him to the house where Jesus is, but they can't get inside because there's so many people. So they climb up on the roof, cut a hole in the roof, and lower him down right in front of Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus looks, he's like, what just Cirque du Soleil happened? But he looks at the man and he sees the death that has caused his paralysis. And he says, it's not your faith, but their faith. Your sins are forgiven. And there were Pharisees there and they got all in a tizzy. <laughs> and they said, who can forgive sins again except God? Which Jesus at that point says, ding, ding, you got it, bro. Right, God. And Jesus says, all right, cool. Let me ask you a question. Which is easier to do? To tell this man that his sins are forgiven? Or to look at him and say, hey, bro, would you pick up your mat, stand up, walk home, be healed? The guy gets up and he walks out in the sight of everybody. But humanity has a tricky way of continually playing the same game time and time again. So the story goes, eventually, God is betrayed. Humanity again turns from God. And they spit on Him and they mock Him and they, they, they beat Him. They, they torture Him. And finally, they put Him on a cross and they crucify Him. Utterly and completely betrayal. All of the anger that humanity has, they unleash it on Jesus. What does God do when He is the victim? When He is betrayed? What does God do when He's the one who has the, 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 the back turned on Him? God, on the cross, looks down and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Humanity, every one of us in the room, will eventually experience the final blow of death. Death will eventually take every one of us and turn us away. Our life will end. We'll lay down. Forever separated from God. Forever separated 
from life. Death will finally have its victory. What does God do when he knows that the future and fate of humanity is grave, separated from him? God does the unthinkable. In his crazy pursuit, in his wild chase after his beloved creation, God pursues them into death itself. As a way of saying, there is nowhere you can go. There is no height you can reach. There is no betrayal that is so intense. There is no death that is so dark that I will let you run away. I will chase you down. Even if I have to chase you down into death itself. But God, when He was teaching, He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And so death does not hold Him down. He has a love that is greater than death, a a, a power that is greater than the grave. And He comes back to life on the third day. And He looks at His creation and He says, anyone who hears My voice and turns towards Me will have life. And so, he reaches into the grave. And he rescues humanity from death itself. And so the story goes, no matter how many times humanity turns away from God, God will always confront humanity. And when humanity betrays God, God will will pursue them. And when humanity turns away in their sin, God will not be stopped. God will not quit. God, every time we turn away from God, God is right there confronting us with His love. Because He never turns His back on us. The story does not go Humanity sinned and God was disgusted so He turned away. The story goes, humanity sinned and God loved them so much that He pursued them into death and rescued them. So I want to to, to tell you the story one more time, but this time I'm not going to use a single word. Just the chairs. So here it goes. Here's the story of Easter in chairs, no words.
That's Easter. <laughs> that's the story. That's the, that's the gospel. That's the deal that God wants to make with you today. The story goes, no matter how many times we turn away from God, He doesn't turn away from us. He chases after us. He pursues us. He doesn't turn away. I know you're thinking, well, you haven't read a single scripture. <laughs> I thought this was Easter. Supposed to preach from the Bible. I've got one scripture for you, and it's the most famous scripture in the entire Bible. John chapter 3, verse 16. Now I want to quote it for you, but I also want to illustrate it for you. So you can see how this looks in Scripture. For God so loved the world that God sent His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him. Whoever trusts, whoever sits down, doesn't turn away from God, but welcomes Him in, they're not going to perish. Death will not have a hold of them. They will have everlasting life because they'll be in the face the one who is life. Verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world, but to save the world through Him. I don't know what kind of picture of God you grew up with, but here's what I want you to understand. God is like Jesus. Nowhere in the story do we see Jesus come, come in contact with a sinner and go, Oh my gosh! <laughs> Peter, get them out of here. I cannot look upon them. No. He goes looking for them. He goes to their house. He invites himself over for dinner. He waits at a well when he could be doing a number of other things for her to come by. He kneels down beside her in the dirt and writes her a love note right there for her, only her eyes to see. Every time we turn away from Him, He doesn't turn away from us. He pursues us. That's why you're here today. I'm not here today. Yes, that's why you're here. You may not know that, but that's why you're here. Because God has been chasing after you. Because today, God is turned towards you. And I just want to ask you a simple question. How are you going to respond? Are you going to turn away from Him? Are you going to continue doing the same thing? Turning from Him, running away, trying to get out, trying to get away from Him. I want to let you know something. He's not going to stop. He went into death to find you. He's not going to quit. 
So today, we're going to sing one more song. While we sing this, I want you to just listen to the words. If you want to stand and sing, stand and sing. If you want to lift your hands, lift your hands. I just want you to ask yourself, how am I going to respond to a God who has turned towards me this morning? Am I going to welcome Him in and not turn away? Or am I going to go do my own thing? So as we sing this, it should take just a minute to reflect upon that. Then we'll come back real quick and share with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.